Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you again. I did mean to uh, earlier to make mention of our covered walkway. We got the electrician completed. We got the framing completed. Uh, sometime on Tuesday, the vinyl is supposed to be delivered. So uh, I need some volunteers, say, Wednesday morning uh, to um, help start back on the project. Uh, in case you don't know it, behave yourself around here now. There are security cameras. Uh, and so you got to behave yourself now. And there are going to be more added as time goes on. Uh, I've got a joke here this morning that sounds very similar to one I've told before, and it might be that I told this because I thought it was really good at the time I heard it, but I didn't have it marked down. So if, I, if this is a repeat, forgive me, uh, and if you haven't heard it, uh, that's good. It says, a young preacher had been called to a small country church and appeared for his first Sunday morning service. And to his dismay, one of the parishioners had brought his dog into the service, And he spoke politely to the dog owner and asked that he would kindly remove the animal. The man obligated and took the dog out and returned to be seated. After the service, the church deacons rebuked the new preacher for insulting one of their staunch members. They pointed out that the dog had made no trouble and had been accompanying his master to church for years. So that afternoon, the preacher called at the home of the dog owner to apologize. And the man says, don't worry about it, Reverend. It all worked out. I wouldn't have had my dog hear that sermon for anything in the world. (laughs) Well, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. After today, we have two more messages from the book of Philippians, and then we're going to spend time in talking about prayer. I told you a week or two ago that I've been convicted recently about prayer. I, uh, the Lord just he does, has his means of doing things to us, doesn't he? And I want you to, uh, in fact, even this morning, part of where we're at is talking about prayer uh, in this letter, but... Do not, do not think I'm trying to beat up on anybody when it comes to praying. Because if I were to ask right now, and be honest with yourself and before God, is your prayer life where you want it to be, no one would raise your hand unless you're a liar. I know that. I know my prayer life isn't what it ought to be. Uh, I, but don't be discouraged uh, in that because none of us reach maturity in our Christian walk. None of us reach uh, to a place where we cannot improve. Uh, The day we improve is the day we go home to heaven when we graduate from this earth. So until then, there's always room for improvement and growth. Uh, And that's Paul has dealt with that. That's why I loved his teachings, because he talks about our Christian walk and, and growing in him and maturing in him. He talks about doctrinal issues. And today... He starts out this passage of Scripture that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, 
petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's all over the place in this text, to be honest with you. Probably could have made three sermons out of it. But the central issue that he deals with here is worry, anxiety. Is that not a common problem? You can say yes. Do many Christians worry? You can say yes. But I want to say this to the individual, the person who is here today, who knows they struggle with worry. What Paul has to say today is good medicine. I want you to notice there's a couple verses that are kind of the key to an answer. Verse 7, he talks about the peace of God. Verse 9, he talks about the God of peace. What he's saying to us is that a Christian, someone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, has a peace in their life that is of God. This peace is a personal peace. It's sort of like our salvation. We talk about a personal Savior. That relationship we have with Christ through and we are saved is very personal. It's not that we don't share it with people, but we know it's ours. We know it's part of who we are as an individual. And what he is saying here is you have a personal peace in your life that God gives you when you are born again. He gives it to every Christian. As I said, it begins at salvation. We can go back in the Romans where it talks about we have peace with God. And and that is different than the peace of God. What he's talking about there is something that, again, happens in our life the day we're born again. We are no longer enemies of God when we have peace with God because we have been made right through salvation. When we confess Jesus as Savior. And so he gives to us a peace with God. We are no longer his enemies. But now he is talking about that there is another kind of peace that is the peace of God. Do you and I not live in a world that wants peace? At least we talk about it. Do we not? Of course we do. But how many people around you have peace in their life? How many have a a true peace in their mind and peace in their heart uh, with all that is happening in their world? Quite honestly, I'm speaking to some of you that are troubled and worry. Do you have the peace in your life and in your mind and in your heart that only God can give? We're living at a time when very few people have this personal peace we just mentioned. People who worry find that their health can deteriorate, infect their mind. 
We know that ulcers come because of worry, high blood pressure, heart problems. Of course, we can have those even if we don't worry. But worry robs an individual of that personal peace that God literally gives to us when we have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us over and again, over again, that we are not to worry. We can go back to First uh, Peter, uh, where he says, "Cast all your anxieties or all your cares on Him, because He cares for you." We can go back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we were there a year and a half ago or so. And in Matthew chapter six, he talks about worry, and he says, "Therefore I tell you, verse twenty-five: Do not worry about your life." He goes on later and says, "We're not to worry about." Our clothing. We're not to worry about what we eat. And he ends it up by saying, just do not worry. Worry is a problem that we face in this world. But you see, worry is the opposite of peace. And we as Christians have a peace of God within our lives. And to say that we worry over issues is literally a contradiction of who we are in Christ. You cannot worry and be at peace at the same time. Our text tells us ways that you and I can have uh, put into practice to win over worry. If you notice, he starts out by talking about rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. That's a command. We're to keep on rejoicing. And then he repeats it by adding emphasis to it. Remember, the book is a book of joy, book of Philippians. It's a book on how we are to praise God, a book on how we are to rejoice and have joy in our lives. Soon after Diane and I started dating, praying one time, and I thanked him, God, for... I don't even know what the problem was, but I thanked him for going through some trials. And she looked at me and said, are you crazy? He, he tells us in all things to thank him. Always and always rejoice. I have a question. Why would God instruct Paul through the Holy Spirit to write to us to stir up an emotion like joy in our lives there was a time in my life when I was a lot more ignorant than I am now, and, and I would tell somebody every now and again, you shouldn't feel that way. And the Lord really opened my eyes and said, no offense, but people feel the way they feel, whether it's right or wrong or whether they should or shouldn't, that's how they feel. And he told me how stupid I was to tell somebody, you shouldn't feel that way. And so why would the Spirit of God instruct Paul to tell us, to stir up an emotion like joy and rejoicing. Well, there's a real simple answer to that, you know. It's because joy is not an emotion. People think happiness and joy are somewhat the same thing. They're not. You see, happiness is based upon what happens. Joy is in our life because we are depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy comes because we have confidence in God. We have joy because we know that no matter what happens in my life, God's in charge of it. I can trust Him in every situation. 
Every part of my life is under his control. I might not like it. And you know, you understand that too, because some things have happened to you that you don't like, but it's under your, God's under God's control. And so no circumstance can come into my life and rob me of my joy. Our Bible lesson this morning was out of, on, on Job. And I couldn't help but think as I prepared that, uh, th- this week, that how much of a parallel there is that, that Job in all that God took him through, Never stopped trusting God and never had his joy robbed because of his relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. And you and I as Christians should thank God for everything that comes to us. And no matter how difficult that circumstance or situation might be in our life. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all things for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So to say thank you God for that dented founder I got last week or whatever might sound silly but yet God says say thank you for it because there's a reason that happened now this statement might sound unkind to you but don't take it that way please but I just like to be honest with you if you have a problem with worry you have a spiritual problem And you have a faulty view of who God is. You have, for some reason, you do not have a God who's big enough to take care of you. So, no matter what trial God sends our way, He will give us the strength to deal with that because He brought it to us and is allowing it to be in our life for a reason. So it doesn't matter what the problem is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You name it. God has allowed it into our life, into your life, and into my life to teach us something, to grow, to mature us. So I want to encourage you, if you struggle with worry, and, and I'm quite sure some of you do. We just There's too many of us in here that some of you do not have a problem with worry. Some of you do have a problem with worry. Excuse me. Study the nature of God. Uh, Come to grips with the truth that God is using whatever happens to you for ultimately for your good. You can find peace with God. You can find the peace of God. And when you do, you can go through any circumstance with joy on your lips. And then he says, let that gentleness, that joy within you, let it come out so people see it. Well, another way he tells us that we can have victory over worry is he tells us we need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. We shouldn't be ashamed of praying. We shouldn't be ashamed of praying anytime, anyplace, anywhere. So if you want to have have victory over worry or anxiety, you need to have an effective prayer life. You need to talk to God about everything. When you do that, you are on the road to victory over worry. Now, you and I live in a world that has many reasons to worry, do we not? I mean, every place and every time we turn and every which direction we go, there are huge problems. And Jean mentioned in Bible study this morning that I think it was her. If not, I'm giving her credit for somebody else. That some of these problems just have no no solution. There's no answer. We look to our politicians and, and 
They seem to make things worse instead of better. But there's no real solutions to some. But you see, for a Christian, there is a solution because ultimately we are not of this world. Prayer gives us the ability to have a viewpoint from our eternal home. When it occurs that, when we understand that, the problems and situations we deal with in this life become much smaller. When we pray, we are saying, God, I need you. That's what we're saying. When I was in the construction business, actually maybe more so than now that I'm pastoring a church, I had a very, very well-worn out prayer. It was only two words long. God help. Prayer is acknowledging, I need divine intervention. I am dependent upon you, God. You see, he says, in everything, pray. When we take our cares to the Lord, our fears are, are, are settled and we're calm. When we pray to God, we say, I know you are in control and I can leave this trial. I can leave this care. I can leave this problem. Uh, whatever the situation is, I can leave it in your hands. And when we do that, there's a big dent in worry. If you notice the text there, he gives four different types of prayer. Four different types of praying. The first is just prayer. He uses that word prayer. This is a reverent worship of God. It's, it's, it's a devotion to God where we understand his greatness to a certain extent and we are in awe of who God is. Then he t- talks about the word petition there, if you noticed. And petition pretty much is prayer of intercession. We can split hairs on that, but petition is pretty much a prayer of intercession. That's praying for another person. That's praying on behalf of another person. J.D. Gear has this as an intercessory prayer is not informing God on behalf of someone else. It is believing God on behalf of someone else. So when we are in intercessory prayer, when we're praying for another person, we're, we're praying that, that God's work is done in their life. And we're believing he will do that. I have a story here, Dr. Harry Ironside. If you don't know who Dr. Ironside was, uh, he was probably best known for being pastor of Moody Church in the 30s and 40s uh, a few years ago. But a, a great preacher. But by the way, he was not well-educated. But he studied God's word and God gave him a wonderful spirit and he had a tremendous teaching and preaching ministry. He was having meetings out west one year and he was dis- startled to discover the church didn't have a prayer meeting. And he talked to them about it and he said, why no prayer meeting? And they said, well, we have no spiritual needs and we have no physical needs, so we don't pray. And, do- and Dr. Ironside said to him, that's, that's unfortunate. He says, at least pray for me so that I have the freedom to speak the right words when I preach the gospel so that they, people will understand. Well, the church didn't quite understand why he would ask them to pray for him. But sometime later, after Dr. Ironside left, went back to Chicago, he became ill. He collapsed while he was preaching. He had typhoid fever. Fortunately, he recovered. 
But about a year later, he went back to that church out west. And they said to him, when we heard that you were sick with typhoid fever, we began to pray for you when we prayed twice a week. And after we heard you recovered, we stopped. Dr. Ironside said to him, as long as I was in the hospital, I was all right. But now that I'm out preaching the gospel, I am faced with spiritual temptations that come from the Christian ministry. I need your prayers now more than ever. They just didn't get it. I hope you get the idea that you and I need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope if you see that somebody that's normally sitting around you and it didn't just take another seat on the other side of the church. When you see that somebody is missing today, that you were holding them up in prayer. Where is Lord? I don't know where brother so and so or sister so and so is, but I'm praying on their half that you're ministering to them right now. That's that's the kind of people we need to be. We need to be lifting people up in prayer. I, I cannot say this enough and I will say it over and over again. I hope you, our people, are praying for me as your pastor. I need your prayers. He says we are to, there are prayers of thanksgiving. In a sense, all prayer is, is, is a prayer of gratitude to God. When we say thanks to the Lord, we are showing we have a humble attitude and we are submissive in our heart. And quite honestly, if you're caught in worry, it's hard to appreciate the good things God has done for you. And quite often when we look back at our life and the journey God has taken us on, we can see his hand at work. And we can easier, it is easier for us to say, God, thank you for what you did in that situation than while we're going through it. Because sometimes it's frustrating. But when we can say thank you to God, we are encouraging our own selves. I want to encourage you to do something that I heard Chuck Swindoll say the other day. I was on the road, so I don't have a direct quote. And I could not wait to get back to the church and write down what I had heard him say. Because it dealt directly with where we're at this morning. He said something like this. and He said, before you get out of bed... Say thanks to God. Say thanks to Him for the rest you had. Thank Him for salvation. Thank Him for His love and grace that He has shown you. Thank Him that you are a new person because of what Christ did on the cross. Thank Him that above all things that you're His child. Above the fact that you're a man or a woman or you're a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter. Whatever you might be in life, above everything else, thank Him for your new identity that He's given you in Christ. I want you to do that, and I want you to thank Him beforehand what He's going to do in your day. Thank Him for what He's going to take you through. Thank Him that He's going to give you opportunities to bring glory to His name and honor Him. Thank Him that He will give you opportunities to serve someone that day. Thank Him that He's going to open a door so you can share the gospel with an individual that day. Do that at the very beginning of your day. And as I said, Chuck Swindoll said, do it before you ever get out of bed. Well, the fourth form of prayer, he says, your requests. 
That's very simple. That's asking for stuff. You good at that? Personal needs. Now, I want to say this, and, and I say it in all seriousness, that some people think that when you pray for your personal needs, you're selfish. Now, I'm not asking you to make a Christmas wish list to ask God. But there are needs that we recognize in our life. And we need to come to him and say, God, I have this need. Do you not have a need? Shake your head, at least shake your head, yes. We do. We have needs. Some at times are more severe than others or more traumatic than others, but there's not one of us in this room that doesn't have a need. Do not think it's foolish to say, God, I need your help. I can think back to when I was single, I had a vehicle that no longer worked and I needed a new one or a different one. And I was debating between two different vehicles and to show you how long ago it was, one was brand new for $2,200. Some of you, some of you remember that and some of you can tell me when they were cheaper than that. But, um, I was debating between these two different vehicles and I had my alarm set to get me out of bed that morning and for whatever reason there was a commercial for the Mercury dealer there in Kalamazoo, Michigan on the radio that morning. I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go buy that Mercury. I had, was between that and a Chevy. And I went down and I got that uh, vehicle. Asking God to help you making decisions for what you need in life. You see, it doesn't matter how small the matter might be or how big the matter might be. Our Heavenly Father wants us to come to Him and say, Lord, I have this need What's the answer? How can it be fulfilled? How, 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 how can the situation be changed? Because you see, with God, it's not something that's too big or too small. He wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives, in everything we need to pray. And the Bible tells us that God's desire is to give us more than we even ask. Ephesians 3.20, It's not a him who is able to do measurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. God's power and what God wants for us is greater than we can even think about. Bring your cares and your worries to the Lord. Leave them with him. He also gives some other instruction here as we go through this text. He says... You want to have victory over worry? Start thinking about good stuff. Good things. We need to have proper thinking. I heard this phrase a while back. Don't know who to give credit to. But it says, stinking thinking leads to stinking living. We have to think properly. And how you think about something can lead to either having peace about it or worry about it. Is that not correct? You can say yes. It's very important about what and and how we think. You and I live in a culture that is being filled with junk. Everywhere we turn, filth, vulgarities, all kinds of perversions are being promoted. Things that you and I ought not think about. Things that are not godly and not good to put in our minds. By the way, side note, I hope when you turn on your television or you go to a movie, 
you know at what point in time that TV needs to be turned off or to another station, and you know what time you need to get up and walk out of a movie because it's putting garbage in you. I hope you all have, understand that. I, I have a, a certain point in time where I've had enough, partly because I don't want to fill myself and my mind with junk. I don't want to pollute it. I do a good enough job on my own without outside help. We need to know that. We need to think on good things. We need to be thinking when we come to church service that today is a day we're going to rejoice. Today is a day of fellowship. Today is a day where we're into study. Today is a day where we're going to lift our voices in praise. That we come together to think on godly things. And, and that we trust that the Spirit is going to minister to us. And when we focus on good things and godly things, worry becomes less because our Minds and our hearts are focused on what's good. Quite honestly, the more we know about our Lord and the more we understand Him and the more we can trust Him and the deeper we come in our relationship with Him, the less worry you and I have. He tells us what to think. You notice that? A bunch of stuff here. He says we're to think on what's true. The Bible tells us we are to worship our Lord in spirit and in truth. Truth is built upon God and His Word. Truth is what is reality. It's not wishful thinking. There was a survey done many years back that said only 8% of the things that people worry about, they have any legitimate concern whatsoever. It says the 92% are, first of all, an imagined Things that will never, ever happen. And it says, and the rest of them are things that they have no control over, even if it happens. It says, think on things that are noble. Things that are worthy to to respect and honorable. Things that are awesome. Things that lift us up. Not things that depress us. Things that are worthy in God's sight. Think upon things that are right. God is a God of justice and of fairness. We are to think upon things that are built upon God's standards. Think upon things that are pure. We live in such a filthy world where immorality is uplifted and promoted. You and I need to be ones who fill our minds with good things, not trash. Think on what is holy. Think what is clean. Think what is valuable to God and, and His service. Because you and I, we live in a world that bombards us with trash every day. Think on things that are lovely. And what he's talking about here basically is things that are attractive. Things that are are, are uplifting to the soul. Things that uh, fine music and, and art would be a good example. Focus on things that please the inner man, inner woman. Think on things that are admirable. Things that are held in high regard. Again, this is the opposite of coarse and filthy. And then he says, think on things that are excellent and praiseworthy. It's kind of a catch-all. But he's saying, is there is anything that is better, that is, promotes goodness and promotes good thinking, that's where you need to focus. That's where your mind needs to be. I want you to notice all these are positive. And, and he says it this way because he's saying, you and I have a choice. We have a choice what we will think on. In our life, we can think on the things of God and we can think on righteous and holy things. 
and make a difference for God in this world, or we have a choice to, to focus on junk, filth, trash, coarseness. We have a choice of what is right, godly, or ungodly, and that destroys. We have a choice. Stuff that will be good and beneficial or stuff that will make us and bring worry to us. To be free from worry doesn't mean we get away or get past every difficult situation. They're going to come. We just have to get to the place where we realize God's in control of my life and every situation of my life. Every circumstance that comes to me. We have to get to the point that where we say, I'm going to honor and trust Him in all of this. I want to bring glory to His name, whatever I'm going through. need to get to the place where worry is something of yesterday. If you notice how Paul ends this, it's interesting again. He basically says, follow my example. He had said that earlier. We talked about that. He said, whatever you've learned from me or received from me or heard about me or saw me do, put it into practice. He's saying, I've learned, and taking words elsewhere, I've learned to be content no matter what I'm doing or where I'm at. He said, I know what it is to have much. I know what it is to have little. Learn from my example. Follow me. Paul had peace in his life. He wasn't worried. He didn't know what was going to happen in the future, but he had peace in his life. And he says, and this flows from us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 7. That peace that he gives that is the opposite of worry, it says it transcends all understanding. That means it it surpasses anything we can comprehend. It's beyond our intellect. It's beyond our ability to explain to the people around us why we have joy in our life when somebody else is worried sick over an issue. Why we have peace in that situation. We can't explain it because it's God at work in our life. It's something that He does to us and through us that's supernatural. Getting rid of anxiety and worry is an act that God gives us when we know That his peace is in our heart and in our life. We can win over worry. We can have peace of God in our heart in the midst of any difficulty, any trial, anything that comes our way. If you're here this morning and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you might have thought everything I said today was kind of crazy. And it would have been. Because it surpasses our understanding. Sometimes to tell the world what we know we have in a relationship with Christ just can't be put into words. But if you have a battle with worry, if you're a Christian and have a battle with worry, Paul's given us good medicine today. But if you don't know Christ as Savior, you ought to be worried. Because you need Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just say thank you for these few moments we've had together. I thank you that you use your word to speak to us. Thank you for our time together. Encourage us in our walk with you. And Father, teach us that we don't have to worry about any situation that comes along. We just need to lean on you, trust you, that you are bringing answers to us in all and every situation. And we say thank you. 
And if there's someone here today, Father, that needs to say, I need Christ as my Savior, give them the strength and the courage right now to walk this aisle and make that profession public. And we say this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, 494. Shall we stand?